0: Hey Mike. Hey Michelle. How's it going?
1: It ain't all no waiting on you, Michelle. That's I vanity. know. That's uh, Barry Corbin from No Country for Old Men.
0: Oh. He's I Ellis mean,
1: in No Country, and he's Wackler or whoever in this episode.
0: Eckler Yeah. 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 He's a great character.
1: Better Call Saul season 5 as episode 3
0: The guy for this.
1: Yep, Michelle, do you have any preview thoughts of this episode before we get into it?
0: Um Well, I I know last week I said that that was when Jimmy became Saul when we were doing episode well, actually episode 1, but episode 1 and 2. But I think I think I at least got a better understanding of what Becoming Saul actually was. It was like a joke prior to, not a joke, but something he could slip into and out of at will before this episode. And now Becoming Saul feels much more sinister to me. Why? Well, because he doesn't have a choice. There's no choice. When you're in, you're in. And he's in, and it doesn't matter what he wants anymore. This is who he is, and what he uh, stands to. I mean, this is his lot now. How could he get out of this?
1: Well, he could have said no and see, and he could have seen what happened, or he could have, <laughs> he, or he could have. He's smart. I think he could have wiggled out of it. I think he. I think he's. And you know, he goes into business with all those other low lifes in Breaking Bad. He could have done this. I don't know. I think he could have gotten out of I I don't think he had to get into it into the the degree that we saw him become in Breaking Bad.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, I I would have to go back and watch some Breaking Bad, but I think he tried to get out of this and he didn't know how. He was put on the spot because he was so afraid of what was coming. So what actually came didn't seem like such a big deal. And, you know, he tried by making his price crazy high in his mind and that didn't work. So I just felt like now Saul doesn't have as many options and I didn't feel like it was through a whole lot of fault of his own. Well, what did you think about the episode? Well,
1: I think about, I, I didn't think about that at all. I thought about Jim, Jimmy and Kim more than anything else. That we learned more about Kim and her background as a poor person, kind of like Jimmy's background as a semi, not maybe not poor, but not really rich person in his father's store. Kim, we learned, was pretty poor, had to run in the middle of the night away from landlords and stuff and didn't have clothes to put on her feet. And, you know, and just seemed sort of interesting how she's from the area where Gene ends up and... Kim not meeting Jimmy Jean at the end seems like a hugely wasted, dramatic connection that they almost have to make. Killing Kim off or putting Kim in prison or Kim just breaking up with Jimmy and moving away and that's the end of her. Seems like a wasted, dramatic opportunity that they should never pass up on.
0: Oh, I completely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I i keep thinking that they will i you know how i am i mean i really want a happy ending i don't see how we can get a happy ending but i said the same thing in the affair so i don't know i don't see how this could be a happy ending but that's what i want i at least want a hopeful ending and i agree with you we found out michelle if you think this has a happy
1: ending you haven't been paying attention to quote ramsey
0: it could it could No way. He could run away with Kim. It could at least be hopeful. I mean, it's going to be happy, but it could be hopeful.
1: Somebody on Reddit said the perfect description of Kim. They said, every guy who watches this show knows that Kim is the girlfriend they wish they had. That's so true. She's smart. She's loyal. She's kind. She likes to help people that need help. She's just a completely good person with some fun. She's got a little bit of evil in her that's fun, but the fun kind of evil where she wouldn't really ever hurt somebody seriously. But she's not so straight-laced and Amish or whatever that she wouldn't be any fun. She's very fun, and she's smart, and she's good. And she's beautiful. She's the perfect girlfriend.
0: I think this episode said a lot about her. And I think at the same time that... Jimmy slash Saul went into some, I don't know, down a path that we are not going to see him come back from because we do know that much about it. I think Kim might have the same thing. I don't know what's going to happen to Kim, but I think something, there was something about those beer bottles. And I can't get them out of my mind, and I didn't want to read about it to get other people's ideas, but I do want to talk to you about them. We can wait till we get there. But there's something about those and Kim. Yeah, and they I'm just... share.
1: They sh- that's their G- Giselle, whatever her name was, from Germany, and Jimmy when they were pulling pranks on people. That's their that's their bad side. Their their teenage, you know, gangster side that they have fun with that they share together. It's their secret fun.
0: Yeah, but there was something more than that. In in the first part when she's standing on the balcony and she's sipping the beer and he comes up and he has two more beers and he says, "Are you about done?" and she goes, "Yeah," and she hands him the she drains it and hands him the empty bottle and he sits it on the balcony. And we kept focusing on that beer bottle. They did. They did sitting on the balcony and her looking at it. And it was something about her being afraid the bottle was gonna drop, is is how I took it. She didn't like it sitting there. It made her nervous sitting there. She was afraid it was gonna fall off the balcony. And then, in the end, we see her heaving the beer bottles off the balcony. Yeah, I
1: thought it was something that they had done before that they shared the You know, so it's no, little, well, yeah, maybe. Side. They've definitely shared delinquencies before. There are non-legal activities that they bond very closely over in scamming those people and stuff. Throwing beer bottles off a balcony isn't, you know, it's not manslaughter, but it's not exactly the safest little thing to do.
0: No, it's not. But I think the fact that it was sitting on that rail beforehand and she was staring at it. And she was staring at it nervously. And then when she didn't want it to fall. And I really think that symbolizes something that has happened with her. What I think she was trying everything she could to not fall. To not turn into maybe what we're going to see her turn into. Just a guess, obviously. Well, how does
1: that jive with her throwing it two minutes later?
0: It wasn't two minutes later. It was the whole end of the... Th- Scene. I think it was her way of giving up. Now, what she's giving up, I don't know, but it felt really profound to me. And I can't really, and and I can't stop thinking about it, but I keep going back to that. There was something to that, something about that. Her not wanting it to fall, and then at the end of the episode, her chucking them. There was something about that.
1: Michelle, how could nature make something like an ant?
0: Isn't it, inc- well, yeah, I mean, I think God makes the ants, but... Um, Nature. I think God, and, you know, when I mean, look at the human body, so, but isn't that cool? Wasn't that the coolest thing you've ever seen?
1: An ant just seems so ungainly when you look at it up close, like that, under that microscopic camera, and then it just, it works so efficiently with all its other ant friends to demolish or consume or whatever they do build a hill build a tunnel they're so synchronous and compatible with each other but they're so ungainly looking when you look at them up close just weird
0: can you imagine if they were like as big as dogs or something
1: uh no i can't michelle
0: because <laughs> that would be horrible i mean looking at them up close they're terrifying little creatures
1: all right michelle we get to see saul ride around with nacho Are you ready to jump into the scene recaps
0: Well, tell me first, what is your analogy with the scene, with the ant scene? Did you get anything out of that?
1: Mm, Just that something good gets consumed. It's almost, I don't know, I keep bringing up No Country for Old Men, but good things always get consumed by masses, like the inevitable mass of nature. And maybe in No Country for Old Men, the nature of life is that there's some evil that always consumes things or, you know, Langoliers its way through life and consumes everything we do and that's kind of what those ants did that ice cream cone is a delicious good thing when it's held in jimmy's hand but when susie as as drops it the world consumes it it doesn't go unnoticed it gets taken care of by the things that consume it i don't can't think of another word other better word yeah. than consume
0: well i was thinking you know. Okay, like Saul, through no fault of his own, right? But he happened into the situation where Nacho comes up on him because of his chance meeting with Tuco back in Breaking Bad, as we've seen, or, you know, in... uh, I'm sorry, I'm completely losing my train of thought looking at this, but, but soon all the opportunistic people descend on him, And we'll see that they actually devour Saul, right? I mean, that's how he ends up as Gene, much like that ice cream cone. It's like one of the gangsters gets a little taste of him, and then he's devoured.
1: That's not just Saul, though. That's the nature of all life.
0: Well, right, but it was Saul's ice cream, sure. But it was his ice cream cone. So, I mean, I just was thinking that's what they were kind of telling us about him, or that's how I took it, but well, well Saul, Saul was
1: Saul was not an innocent bystander to become noticed by exi- accidentally noticed by Tuco. He Saul Jimmy was involved in something um, notoriously, you know, not not that evil, but he was involved in something bad to get. Well, he Tuco. was
0: yeah, he was doing something crooked, but he had no idea he was getting involved in um, like cartel business or something.
1: Okay, well, that's what I think of when I saw those ants. Is like, you can't stop what's going to happen. Here's. let me go back to Ellis. Uh, da, 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 da. That, what does he say? You ain't, what you got ain't nothing new. This country's hard on people. You can't stop what's coming. It ain't all waiting on you. That's, that's vanity. <laughs> <laughs> can't stop what's coming. That's the ants. Perfect. I think Vince Gilligan, I think I think Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul were westerns, are westerns, just like No Country for Old Men. And a western is such a romantic interpretation of life. I just, I think it's, I think it's, I think they're very bonded together. I think Vince Gilligan probably loved that movie.
0: Oh, I think so too. I think so too. I think he went to probably great lengths to get uh, the actor in this movie, too. Or in this episode, too. Okay, but Saul, he's in the back of the car. He's sweating. He's noticing the gun, the missing door locks. Um, so, what did you think about him being there? Anything else?
1: Mm, no. Lalo's just got plans. Lalo's got a plan to use him, to use Domingo slash 8, to get Gus. Get under Gus's nerves. And yeah, he's,
0: yeah, he's actually using this whole situation with Domingo Crazy 8 to set Gus up, he thinks. so.
1: Yeah, and this is more evidence. We talked a little bit about this last episode that Lalo and Gus, while they're pretty equal, Lalo is no match for Gus.
0: No, I don't think so either, although I don't know Lalo that well yet. He's pretty... Um, he's pretty smart, and when Gus thought he could fool them about the south wall and building the thing, he couldn't. So.
1: Yeah, but that doesn't mean he's you no. Know, he's, he's Gus is a notch above Lala.
0: I think so too. Yeah. But they pull in, and everybody leaves except for. Lalo and Nacho and Saul, and then Saul starts talking because he thinks something bad is going on, and they want the legal advice, and they end up, you know, he throws out that number. What was it? Seven thousand nine hundred and twenty-five dollars, and and that's pocket change to Lalo.
1: Yeah, and we also saw more from Lalo about how he has his anger problems. The only anger problem we've ever seen, the only weakness we ever saw at all with, with Gus was Tio, Hector, shooting his lover. That's the only, that's the only reason he's not around today or whatever and Breaking Bad at the end. Lalo has all kinds of problems. He's, he's mad. He's like, oh, you call my grandma Biznatch or Bizatch or whatever, <laughs> whatever they called uh, his grandma.
0: Well, they didn't do it. I mean, Saul didn't do it.
1: Saul's partners did, though. Those skateboard kids.
0: Yeah, I mean, yes. The so, people by proxy, right. Saul. Right.
1: Yeah, but he's got he lets that stupid little shit get under his skin. I don't know. That the weakness of Lalo is his anger at anything and everything that you know, stupid doesn't mean anything. Gus, we don't see that. Gus, the one thing was pretty profound that made him angry.
0: That's true, but I think, well, sure, but I think Gus got pretty angry in this episode, but you're right. You don't see him react on that anger, but what else could Saul have done in this situation? Because you said he could have said no. What else could he have done? First of all, I have a question. The question is, I know what Saul's doing is unethical, but is what he's doing criminal? It has to be, right? Uh,
1: I don't know. I'm not Because he's going in there
0: telling somebody to lie.
1: Yeah, I mean, not incriminate yourself. But yeah, he's giving a lie about where the drops are. To He's telling the guy, Domingo, to give a lie about where the drops are to the police.
0: Well, no, that's actually where the drops are. But he's telling him to tell them something specific that's not the truth. This is Lalo's operation. And Gus, I guess, too. But they're setting Gus up. They're telling the Gus part of it, I guess, right? Is that what they were doing? Yeah,
1: Domingo's talking about Gus's drops, not his own. And that's going to turn the feds onto Gus and essentially get Gus in trouble, not create the money. We talked about this last episode. If Gus doesn't produce money, he's going to look really bad to the cartel and essentially be out, ousted. That'll make Lalo happy. So Lalo wants the attention of the DEA on Gus, and so he's willing to throw Domingo under the bus by having him say that those drops are their drops. Right. And have him look closely at Gus.
0: So what what do you think Saul could have done to have gotten I mean, out of that could situation?
1: Done a, I don't know. He could have done a bad job at it. Not, be, not been so convincing with Domingo and Lalo just goes, oh, you suck, dude. My $9,000 was or whatever, $7,000 was poorly spent. I don't know if he would have killed him for that. But I think, you know... Kind of like doing the dishes, if you do a good job, you get to keep doing the dishes <laughs> i think if 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 I just think if Saul wanted out of this, he could have thought of a way out of it. He's at the very, very beginning of this
0: yeah i mean i I think he was put in a situation that he was so relieved that he just went with it, and I think that's well, i mean and it's like Nacho says you know when you're in you're in. It's very telling, because Nacho doesn't want to be there either.
1: Well, Walter White wanted to provide money to his family. He probably didn't want to become a drug kingpin, and then he got a taste of it, and he liked it. Jimmy, all along, has been a little bit of a crooked dude, even as slipping Jimmy with the Marco guy. Mm-hmm. He likes this kind of stuff, and this is like big time. You know, Now you're in the major leagues of doing this stuff. I think he kind of likes some of it.
0: I, I, I'll agree with that. I think he's conflicted, at least, because I think he liked telling Kim the part about the money. Which he likes was the, the whole...
1: I mean, he likes crime, Michelle. He's got this, the whole cell phone business to get, you know, crappy... He, he wants to be a criminal lawyer. He wants to be more involved in the... He likes this world. He likes this universe of crime and cr- criminal stuff. And, you know, he's... He's barely on the good side of it but being, by being the lawyer of the criminals. But, you know, helping them, I still say, helping them get deeper into crime plays to his advantage. And he's not above doing that.
0: Okay, and we see Mike struggling too. He's sitting in the bar. And it's that same bar that he sat in with Werner Ziegler. And he notices the the photo back there of the Sydney Opera House that Ziegler had discussed with him, that his dad had worked on it. And it upsets him, and he demands that the bartender take it down, and then he asks him nicely and gets him to remove it. Mike's struggling.
1: When Mike walks away from that bar and he meets that gang, he kind of walks through that neighborhood on purpose. He takes a punch, but then he totally kung fu's the guy. Too good of a of a fighter. Wanted the
0: fi- I think he wanted the fight. and I think he wanted the punch, and I think he wanted to feel something, maybe other than just the devastation that he cannot that seem be. to shake. It could be. But, but yeah, he's walking through there, and uh, the guy wants to um, shake him down for twenty bucks, and Mike goes out of his way to insult him and then almost rips his arm off his body. And then he steps on him as he walks away, just to add insult to injury. Now, what about those other guys? Why would they not come after him? He's an older dude, you know? Why couldn't the other five young men have done something? I
1: don't know the be- whole bevy of reasons maybe i mean maybe that's insulting to your gang leader if you jump in to help him when he's supposed to be able to be a badass fighter i don't know man i've never been in a gang so i don't know the rules and the <laughs> protocol maybe they were afraid maybe they didn't want their arm cartilage we had the we had the subtitles on <laughs> cartilage being torn cartilage being torn a little farther
0: <laughs> that was horrible i know i know Okay, so then this is the scene where Saul pu- pulls up at home and Kim's on the balcony having a beer and he brings out another one and one for himself. And this is where he has taken her beer, empty beer bottle, and set it down at the end on the end on that little narrow rail. And she asks about his day and he's very careful what he says. He doesn't give her any information but he doesn't lie. He's talking about meeting interesting people. Uh, he's had his ups and downs, but Saul had his best day financially speaking. And she's unimpressed with that. She's like, well, good for Saul. I better prep for tomorrow. She kind of pats him on the arm, grabs the empty beer bottle, so presumably it doesn't fall off the balcony and walks inside. According
1: to Michelle.
0: That's my, that's what I heard.
1: Yeah, I don't, okay. know. Um, I don't she, know. Jimmy just gives her kind of a financial answer, which I guess mm-hmm. and he's pretty proud of that. The best He doesn't say it like, oh, best soul. He doesn't say it like, ironically. He says it kind of
0: proudly... Yeah, that's what I was saying. I think he liked that. First of all, I think he was shocked that Lalo agreed to that because probably, I don't know. I mean, I'm doing nothing but guessing, and I'm probably I am totally ignorant on how much don't money say that.
1: you are. You know what you're talking about, don't you?
0: I don't know how much money a lawyer makes. That's what I was going to say. Well, on this. That,
1: that's a message that Jimmy doesn't know what he's getting involved in. If if he says, "Oh, I'm going to pick a big number to scare him away so I can get out of this," and the guy just pulls pocket change out and gives him that number. Right. Jimmy doesn't know what he's getting involved in yet. He's 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 over his head. So but, tell me but, why. The, but the way that he says, "Oh, Saul Goodman has best day yet. I got eight thousand dollars." He's like happy about this. He's he's yes. swimming in this. He's happy. He's
0: proud. He feels pride. I think for that. That's what how I took his mood. Or maybe he was looking on the bright side. He's like, I know I'm in something maybe over my head, but at least I got a good paycheck. I don't know.
1: No, he's over his head, but he's like, hey, this is turning out great, man. Look how easy it was to get $7,900.
0: So tell me about the Asian girl dismantling the Rubik's Cube.
1: What do you want to know about her?
0: Why why was she doing that?
1: She's been a friend of my family for years, Michelle. Be
0: careful what you say.
1: (laughs) No, she's Tucker's hole. The meth guy digs the hole. Jesse tells him, here, look, help me dig. So what a meth head does. They focus in and they go, you know, that girl wanted to clean the remote control of the TV and she wanted to put the puzzle together. And she, you know, they, they get nitpicky, little detail-y about stuff. And that's what I guess meth does to you when you're okay. zoned out on it, high on
0: okay. it. Okay. I was wondering. I figured it had to be drugs or something.
1: You don't clean a Rubik's Cube to be <laughs> you, neat. No. You, you've got something messed up.
0: But that was kind of weird. But then Nacho takes the remote control from her and offers her a puzzle. So he knew what she needed. So that made me think it was probably drugs. But he takes a puzzle from like a toy box. He has like a toy box in there with all these different toys. And then his dad comes over. And that was... Uh... I felt really bad for Nacho in this.
1: What do you think the relationship was of the three of them? Nacho... The one girl Amber is the kind of the Caucasian girl is like his girlfriend girl and then the oriental or asian girl. Why does he have two girls? Why does one seem more girl than the other and why does one seem more drugged out than the other? What's the what's the dynamic of the two girls with Nacho?
0: Is it two girls or is there not three girls sometimes?
1: Well, last night there were two girls, so that's right. why I'm asking two.
0: Um, because think I think those we, are just
1: nachos toys when he comes home from a hard day of cartel work.
0: That's certainly how I've taken it. Why isn't the
1: one girl zapped out on meth like the Asian girl was? I don't she's, know. She's like sober.
0: I don't know. I mean, I don't know. But I know that, you know, we've seen him come in before and he's thrown them each a pack of something.
1: Yeah, they're definitely there for free drugs and pleasuring nacho.
0: Right. But one seemed right.
1: more real girlfriendy than the other.
0: But she seemed more girlfriendy this time. Last week when they came in and took him out of the house to show him his dad. Wasn't it the Asian girl he was in bed with? I
1: don't remember.
0: I don't either. But I'm pretty sure I mean I think that's what it was. So I think so yeah, I think it's definitely just
1: and then those two women are just happy with that? Like, this is, okay, it's your turn on odd number days and my turn, Monday, Wednesday, Friday?
0: Um, I don't know, Mike. I don't know. Maybe it's a plural marriage kind of thing. I don't know. Did you never watch, you never watch Big Love?
1: Marriage is not or, the word. My, or My
0: Sister Wives? Or no,
1: you know. Any I of that?
0: Okay, I don't, that. I don't know. I don't know. But the the relationship between... Him and his dad. Okay, first of all, you can tell he's, like, shocked that his dad's there. He was not expecting that. His dad's never been there before, and we know that. And his dad, of course, has no idea the lengths that Nacho has went to. to has gone to. Has gone to. I'm going to
1: uh, I'm gonna be, uh, <sighs> what's his name to you? Uh, Stanis Baratheon to your grammar errors, Michelle.
0: Okay, that's fine. Every
1: time you has went, I'm going (laughs) to... Or there's less soldiers over there. There are fewer soldiers.
0: Oh, my gosh. Okay. You know what I'm saying. Just
1: call me Stannis.
0: Okay, Stannis. But what's going on with their relationship now? Because Nacho's happy to have him there and thinks everything's okay He's, like, making him coffee and sit down. Wait, wait, somebody... wait, wait,
1: wait. Nacho's happy that his father came over? I don't think so.
0: Oh, I thought he was. I thought no, he was shocked. No, he didn't want his happy. father
1: to see his house. His father seeing his house is like when Skylar saw Walt's nice apartment after he moved out. And she's like, well, I guess crime does pay. He didn't want her to see that. And Nacho does not want his father. He's like, looks out the thing to see it's his father. He's like, oh, shit. He doesn't want his father to see him with two crack whores and a really nice crime-paid-for house.
0: Well, he may be embarrassed about it, but I think he was happy that his father was there anyway.
1: You're just a mom saying that, Michelle. He was no, not I'm happy serious. that his father was there. No,
0: Mike, he goes running out the door. He runs yeah, to toward keep him. Yeah,
1: to try to keep him... He, didn't his father even say something like, aren't you going to let me in, or... He, Nacho does not want his. He was not happy that his father's there.
0: Well, then why did he run toward him? Because his father he can't to keep get him. him
1: isolated from or keep it isolated from him, seeing how he was living. Catch him at the door before he can come in or walk in or whatever. He doesn't want him to. See, he doesn't want his father to see his lifestyle. That wasn't really the point, though. The point is that his father has been given an offer on his shop way more than his value its value
0: so do you think nacho did it
1: yeah i think that's the gist of it is that he can he can get his father out of for some reason they want that shop to move stuff back and forth and they get they get the shop the father can retire with the money and the more money he has the more farther away he can move from the problem Yeah, I think Nacho probably set the price up way higher than it had to be.
0: Right. I agree. But Nacho lies right to his face. And his father tells him that he needs to give this life up, go to the the police, and face the music. Yeah. I wonder if he understands what he's saying when he says that.
1: Maybe not, totally. But his father's a really good-to-the-bone person. He was one. He said it's sad that he wanted to turn the family business over to Nacho and clearly Nacho's just not going to become a car seat upholsterer now. Right. now. he's living in luxury in a fat money drug cartel house with women all over him. Right. He might want to now that he knows the bad downside of it, but he can't get out of that. Right. And, you know, his father is the type of man who would turn and face his problems and not run and. He shames Nacho a little bit by saying, you can run if you want, but I'm not going to run.
0: Right. Well, then he leaves. And you can tell it's not a pleasant thing for Nacho to experience. And we have to remember that he just... I mean, Nacho, everything he's doing right now is pretty much for his dad. I'm not talking about the women he's got at his house. But all the trouble and everything he's into is because... Of his dad,
1: I think the women at his house is kind of for his dad. That the cartel expects him to live a certain lifestyle, and he has to pretend that he's into that lifestyle to keep everybody copacetic. Otherwise, they start putting heat on his dad because they know that's his, you know, his, his Achilles. That's his pressure point that they can apply to get to him. So he appears to be living the cartel, lord drug lord lifestyle to keep everything calm. Okay, But I think his father's kind of being a little persuasive, too, by saying, you can run, but I'll never run, like hoping that that lights some sort of a fire under Nacho. Like, I'm a man. I'm the man that I want to be. You can be you can run from being a man if you want to. I think it's kind of a bit of a leverage point by his father. Well, yeah, but he's tried it
0: before. No, but it's his father.
1: He's never going to give up on wanting him to be free of. All that stuff.
0: Okay, then we go to Kim and she's sitting in the courtroom. This is her pro bono day, and it's quiet and everything. And Steph comes in. She tries to give her the phone because uh, Rich keeps calling her boss, and Kim is absolutely not having it. She's blowing her off. They get she get they she and her clients get out of the courtroom. She's standing out there talking to them, and Steph comes up again. She's like you got to take this call. And so Kim takes it. Rich says, she, he essentially says, what are you doing? You have to do this. The pro bono stuff is extra. This is what, what did he say, keeps the lights on or something? You yeah. have to go to Tucumcari. So that's it.
1: Yeah, Kevin, so Michelle, do it. you remember the details of how Mesa Verde hires Kim as their attorney to help them accomplish all this bank, establishing banks in new cities and new states and stuff. And then Kim determines that she can't do it alone, so she joins Schweikert and Coakley to help, to get them to help.
0: Well, she remember the she details was, of that? Yeah, she was doing it alone. Mm-hmm. I don't think she, she was doing it alone, but she wanted to do pro bono and she wasn't going to be able to do Mesa Verde and pro bono. So she kind of did the swap out by going to Schweiker and Coakley or whatever it is. So there, uh, you know, the people who work there could take on part of the workload that didn't necessarily have to be done by her.
1: Okay. So she could keep a little bit more space to herself for pro bono by right. involving Schweikert and Coakley.
0: Right. All right. She got the, uh, well, I guess, paralegals or whatever they are that work there to be able to take on some of the stuff that's take-onable by those people, and she would just do still the bulk of the heavy lifting. They only want her. Kevin and Paige want her, and that's what she promised them. If you'll remember, she barely got that, that job, that that gig, and she wanted it. But she promised them that they would be her only client. So.
1: Right, until she found it not as fulfilling as she thought. Right. So, Michelle, and the whole um, Mike wanting to know about distances thing, I stole this from Ellen Sepinwall. That Tucumcari is two-and-a-half-hour drive from Albuquerque. I actually
0: looked that up, yeah. They Mm -hmm. actually want
1: her to go to to Tukumkari, like, right, drop everything, come right now. But she would have had to drive two and a half hours, or she does drive two and a half hours,
0: Mm -hmm. to see Ellis. Yep. Yep. She has no choice. She agrees. She's very unhappy, though. So then we go to Saul, and he's in that jail conference room, and they bring Crazy 8 in. And Crazy 8 has no idea who he even is or what's going on. And before he'll even talk to him, he goes and, like, looks out the window. He is paranoid. And then he tells him that Lalo sent him and that he's the best thing that's ever happened to Crazy Eight. So that was pretty much that. He tells him that, you know, he's got something he's going to tell him. Essentially what Lalo told him was going to happen. He says, "How, how are you at memorization? And then pushes that legal pad toward him.
1: Well, they need Jimmy... Lalo needs a smart lawyer to be part of this scam on Hank and Gomi, or just the DEA, essentially. That
0: Well, they didn't even know it was going to be the DEA. Remember, Lalo was shocked that the DEA was well, even in the, on the this.
1: the law. The law. So he, needs, right. he needs somebody to help somebody on Reddit call be a director, a producer, a director of the scene, of the acting scene of Domingo. Right.
0: And Jimmy's right. the
1: director and gets him to say the right things and look the right way. Right. to the law which turns out to be the DEA and Hank and Gomi and that yellow pad that was on the Nexons that everyone was trying to read and decipher and it's the drops that Gus's men use to drop the money from right. Gus's drug dealings which, which is another thing that's on reddit all over the place is like is the drug methamphetamine or is the drug cocaine and it's equally divided 50-50 and I don't even know the frickin' answer as to which drug it is because we see in breaking bad yeah gus tries to bring the idea of bringing methamphetamine to the cartel and don says no that's hillbilly drugs we deal in cocaine and every and the other half of the people say no it's meth you see the tweaking girl cleaning the rubik cube you see the guy digging tucker's hole and you see all that that's meth that's not cocaine also, the two tweakers, what were their names, Sticky and Ron, that's not cocaine. They would never be have been able to afford cocaine in the 80s. They are on meth. They're on the cheap meth. So I don't know. I don't know what, it, uh, what drug it is.
0: I don't know. That's a good, good uh, point, though. I had never thought about it. I mean, I've, you know, when I think about it, I think about it as meth, but that's because of the blue meth and Walter White. So...
1: Yeah, but that's way later.
0: Right. Right. But that's just all I've ever thought about and what they're doing, but
1: but also but, Domingo and Jesse and Domingo's friend whose name I can't think of now, but the other the, the other guy who um crazy Aiden and his partner that kind of were Jesse's boss, They were some they were slinging meth. So who knows? I don't know. It's probably meth. But I don't know. The whole thing with Gus and the meeting down in Don Eladio's ranch was all about how meth is not what we want. We do cocaine. So it's confusing. It's a little confusing.
0: That is confusing. But then we do see, like you said, Hank and Gomez, they come up. And, okay... I know that we like Hank and Gomez and we miss Hank and Gomez, but they were so unlikable, Hank particularly, in this scene. What would you think?
1: Well, that's how Hank was in Breaking Bad for the first season.
0: Was He's he?
1: A bat, he was an ass. He was like a pompous, loudmouth ass. Okay. Oh, someday you'll be, you know, he lets Walt pick up his gun or something, and Walt's like, oh, it's heavy. He's like, oh, someday you'll be mad enough to pick, really pick up a gun. You know, he's like a he's like a testosterone-fueled asshole. And later on, he becomes kind of a more deeper character. Probably they didn't know at the time what they were going to do with Hank when they were writing the series. You know, Hank's just a loud mouth brother brother-in-law, boisterous cowboy. But then he became more interesting and deep, and, it, you know, he's this is Hank in that early stage.
0: He's awful. He's awful. He's somebody that just... Everything about him is everything that you dislike about somebody who is in a position of authority and the way they act when they are.
1: Probably pretty realistic, though.
0: I'd hate to think that. But Crazy 8 starts teasing him that that he might know where half a million dollars in drug money is and so that's like his catch to them and it has gomez going okay that can do some good things for you about this time saul starts beating on the door and it's obviously contrived and set up and he's like you know you can't talk to him and all this and then crazy eight and him get in an argument and very contrived and crazy eights, like, I'm going to talk. And Hank, to his credit, smells a rat and all that. And he gets up to leave. And then Jimmy says, what if it's contingent? But now, Jimmy didn't like, or Saul, didn't like the arrest part of it, I don't think. What'd you think?
1: What do you mean he didn't like the arrest part of it?
0: When Hank said... That the that it was contingent on arrests, on on them getting arrests. Jimmy Saul didn't like that because he's he finally agreed to it because he didn't have a choice, but he knew that by him doing that, that he himself was actually setting somebody up to be arrested.
1: Well, and he's more yeah you're right and then he's more deeply involved he probably thought that maybe I can just get $7,925 do this one thing for Lalo do a really good job at it and get out of it but now like oh Hank wants the rest on the other you know he wants a guarantee of more involvement of getting more people held accountable then Lalo's Lalo's plan is going to involve more and more of Jimmy if that happens but I, I think a lot Lalo's plan would involved right. more of Jimmy anyway. If Jimmy does a good job at this, he's just going to realize, hey, this guy's valuable. I'm going to use him over and over again.
0: I know. And that's what I was kind of saying at the beginning, though, is that there is nothing to win. He's either going to do a good job and he's going to be used, or he's going to do a bad job and they're going to kill him. There's just – I, I don't know how he could win with this.
1: But mm, I don't Jim- know that he would kill him if he did a bad job. I think he may – yeah. I well, don't know. if he
0: didn't kill him, he would kill Crazy Eight if it went bad, yeah, and that but would be
1: own. Jimmy cares, maybe a little bit about Crazy, but Jimmy cares about Jimmy. Jimmy's not okay, going to so lose much sleep over Crazy Eight.
0: I don't know if you're right about that. Maybe, but I think he does care. I mean, he doesn't have to do this stuff. He makes. It was Jimmy's idea. Saul's idea to make Crazy Eight a confidential informant. What was that all about?
1: Well, that protects Crazy Eight from being used in other ways by by Hank and Gomi. I think a conf, I don't know that much about how police use confidential informants, but I think they're pretty prized possessions. And I think con, confidential informants, I think, get special treatment. Like they get, they can tell them things and then not be held accountable. Like they're immune from certain prosecution and probably okay. get protected a little better.
0: But why did Jimmy care? Why did Saul care what he did about that? He was saying, You're going to use my guy up here and then he's going to be bleeding out in front of his grandma's house or whatever he said, you know? I don't like know. Maybe that was that part of.
1: Maybe that was part of Lalo's plan. That
0: well, it wasn't because at the end he pointed out to Lalo that Crazy Eight was now a confidential informant, and Lalo's like a rat. So it wasn't part of Lalo's plan. That was Jimmy's plan. Anyway, I didn't know if you had any insight on why he had done that.
1: No, I think it just keeps. Lalo, I think it keeps um, Domingo a kind of a prized possession, and it gives him a little bit more respect from the law. And probably does protect them a little bit from them just saying, OK, now thanks for all the info. And now you're going to jail for, you know, jaywalking or what, you know, they're going to they're going to value him a little more.
0: OK. OK, then we go to Kim and she's pulling up at the Tucumcari call center area. Now, that was really cool. How that, Can you imagine how that was to set up? I mean, they have, like, this big billboard, the Tucumcari call center, and then they have all of these pads where houses have been, presumably, on this desolate desert floor and this one house with a privacy fence put on the inside of a fence. It's crazy. Mr. Acker is the lone holdout, and... Kim goes up because this is what they want her there for, to try to talk some sense into him. And he won't even let her in the yard. He mocks her um, as, as they're big guns with a ponytail. He kicks her out. He's yelling. I hated that. That really bothered me when he got in her face and he's like kind of do, uh, doing that little head thing. I hate that. Where he's like, oh, no and he like yells at her and throws his head forward oh that just i don't know that really bothered me and he's calling her sweetheart and stuff like that and kim starts to leave but then he digs into her she was gonna leave and he digs in he starts talking about you're the kind of person who gives a little money to charity once a month (laughs) you volunteer at the soup kitchen on thanksgiving and then think you've done something he just digs into her And she's had it and she walks back and she walks through his gate into his yard and gets in his face and she really lets him have it no one's mistreating him all the rest of the people played by the rules a contract is a legal thing, and it has consequences. And by the way, dude, the eighteen thousands off the table. If you want it now, it's ten, and if you don't, they're gonna kick you out, and you're gonna get nothing. And she leaves.
1: Well, Kim's right because I mean I think they even talk about how this guy Ellis had his had a ruling against him in court.
0: And yeah, he, he did. Had,
1: he had to move out. He can't mm-hmm. just squat there, even though he had some sort of a contract for a hundred years and there was only 30 of it used up. And, but I think it was, they could buy it out for 8,000 and they were offering 18 or something like that. I don't know. Well, They
0: it, could buy it out for fair market value plus 5,000 okay. is what it so was. And that, they were offering 18 Yeah. fair so. market plus 18 to, you know, get him to go.
1: So they're both kind of right. I mean, the guy had a legal ruling against him that he had to sell it for that deal and move out and he's right in that you just want my place, you think money rules the world and you can steamroll anybody and everything if you give them enough money and you know, tear them away from their home.
0: Yeah, know. that's funny that you just said that because the first night I watched it, Jillian was watching it kind of halfway with me and at that at that that's my youngest daughter and at the at that place in it when she stormed off and it was really a good thing. Jillian said, so, so who's right in this? I haven't really been following. And I said, well, really they're both right. I said, you know, he's, he's right, but you know, the law is on her side. So it was funny that she said that, but the funniest part of this episode comes up next when Lalo's driving on that track and he asks Saul what he drives and Saul says, um a Suzuki esteem, and mm-hmm. then he stands there and he gets this look and he kinda raises his eyebrows and cocks his head to one side and brings his finger up and he goes, It's an import.
1: Yeah, I mean there I think there is no such car, but it's a shit we've seen that car, that little yellow, crappy car with the miscolored door. And it's the obvious the obviously opposite name of esteem on a crappy <laughs> low esteem car.
0: That was so funny. But no, there there are Suzuki esteems. I just looked it up. Okay. So but that was just just the way he said that. It's an esteem. But anyway, Saul tells him about everything that happened with Crazy Eight and then he goes into the fact that it was feds, which shocks Lalo and that they're gunning for arrest. Lalo doesn't care and that Crazy Eight's now a confidential informant. And he says, he's not a rat. He didn't talk. No matter what you hear, he didn't talk. And he says, well, why do you care? And he said, because he's my, even though, you know, you uh, paid the bill or whatever, he's my client.
1: Yeah, so I guess Jimmy does have some, he holds, (laughs) to pardon the pun, he holds the law in a high regard or high esteem that he's my client. I got to protect him. Like he even made Walton Jesse pay him money, put the money in my pocket. You know, they literally had to do that to become make him his right. their lawyer, Right. make him their lawyer. So he does. He does. He, uh, you know, contrary to Chuck, who ripped him left and right, he does hold the legal profession in some esteem. In some yeah, regard. I think
0: so too. But then this is where Saul tells Lalo that he's going to find a different attor- attorney for his future endeavors. And Lalo says, you'll make time. And he gets into that little hot rod and drives off again. And this is where Saul asks Nacho, you know, who exactly he just set up. And Nacho's like, you don't want to know. And um, Jimmy says, well, I don't want any blowback. And Nacho says, it's not about what you want. And then he turns to him, and it's kind of like this pretty intense scene where he goes, when you're in, you're in. And I think Nacho was saying that as much to himself as he was to Saul. And then Saul gets out of his car when he's dropped back off, and that ice cream cone's been completely devoured by the ants. And he kind of looks at it sadly, and then he brushes off his shoe and walks away.
1: So Sepinwall has a, um interpretation of the ants, Michelle. Okay. He says, Jimmy has cast aside something sweet a relatively honest legal career like the one he had before the war with Chuck for something destructive and he's as oblivious to the carnage he's starting to cause as the passersby in the street you know, pe- walking past the ants on their ice cream cone
0: It's interesting
1: I don't know if that's accurate or not but that's what Alan Steppenwell thinks
0: It's a good take I figured there'd be tons of takes on that. I'm I'm excited to read about it now that Once we get the podcast done, I'm excited to read about what everybody else thought about that. Okay, then we go to Kim. She's driving away from the Tucumcari uh, place. And this is where we find out, or I found out, that Tucumcari was two and a half hours from Albuquerque, where they were. And she's two and a half hours from home. And then she turns around She's getting, like, the lowdown of what happened with her pro bono clients and everything, and I think she's, like, getting in this pro bono mindset, and then she thinks about uh, Mr. Ackman, and she didn't like—Mr. Ackers, and she didn't like it. And so she turns back around and goes back to his house, and this time she actually breaks into his property. I was really scared here. I thought this was going to be, like, the end of Kim. When she went up to his door, I thought he was going to shoot her. I thought he was either going to shoot her or, I mean, I like literally had to stop myself and say, okay, you got to breathe through this. Or she was going to find him dead in there. I thought it was going to be much more, you know, immediately intense than it was. But it was pretty intense. She's went to a lot of trouble She has pulled up houses that she thinks he'll like, and she's trying her best to reason with this man who is completely unreasonable. And she even goes into her own. She tells him why. She's like, okay, I get it. I get why you want to stay here. And she goes into why, that she never had a house. She has never owned a house. But when she was little, she would have given anything to have had a house. And if she had a house, she wouldn't want to leave it either. And... He accuses her of using her story and stooping to a new low to get her way and closes the door in her face and locks it.
1: Yeah, she gives him pro bono service.
0: Oh, I know. Yeah, and she said she says that she'll take a day off that week and help him move and she'll pay for it herself. I mean, she really Kim wants to help and she wants to help so much that she opens up. This is our fifth season that we've seen this with Kim. And we haven't seen any kind of depth kim like we saw with this and she opens up i mean that's a painful thing that's a that's a raw that's a deep thing that she's telling this guy that she doesn't even know and he literally spits in her not literally but figuratively It's another case though michelle
1: of them both being correct She does want him to get a better deal than he's going to get because he is going to get the knock on the door from the police. They're just going to evict him. So I think she does want him to do better than that. But he's right that she's doing anything she's saying and doing things to get what she wants. She wants him to get that better deal. She wants to look good to Coakley and Schweikert and Mesa Verde. She wants to accomplish her job as a lawyer and she wants him to get a better deal. And she's trying to do anything she can to get that accomplished.
0: Okay. I completely disagree that it has anything to do with Schweikert and Cochla. Completely. When she walked out before, Paige was standing there and heard her and said, thanks. That's what we needed. That was perfect. You did exactly what had to be done. Thank you. It's Essentially, it's over. She had done it. I think this was all about Kim wanting to do right by somebody that was going to be wronged by the system. And so she went back to do that. I don't think it had anything to do with— But she
1: didn't—the threatening tone didn't get it done. And this looks like it might get it done because he looks like he's kind of listening to her. But it turns out this doesn't get it done either. She's saying—she's trying different things to get this done.
0: Yeah, but if you're trying to get something done because your business says you got to do it, it's one thing. And if you're trying to get something done because you feel like it is truly in this man's best interest and you hate to leave him hanging because of a, I mean, essentially. Both. all both.
1: She's yeah. trying to accomplish both.
0: Well, I mean, of course she was trying to get him to do something. It's just like she was trying to get Bobby to take the plea deal in the last episode. But that was because it was in his best interest. Just because you talk somebody into doing something doesn't mean that that you're trying to get them to do what you want them to do. Sometimes you're talking them into doing it because it's the best thing. I mean, Kim doesn't well, gain anything. Thing. It, I it, know.
1: Take out... of either side of the argument, it is the best thing for this guy to take the best deal because the inevitable is going to be he's going to be moved out. So you might as well take the best deal. He's emotional. He's like he's bonded to this property for 30 years, his family, whatever. He doesn't want to move, but he's going to be moved if he doesn't move. So the best thing is that he moves with the best, you know, compensation for it.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Kim didn't
1: didn't say... Hey, you know what, these bastards are totally wrong. I, I want, I'm I I'm gonna fight for you. I'll fight to go to court for you, you know, to to protect you from these Schweikert and Coakleys and Mesa Verdes. She doesn't do that. You know, she wants both, I think. She wants I
0: don't think so. I don't think she can do that at this point. If they hadn't shown us the bare ground all around where they've bought everybody else out and he's already been to court, then I would maybe agree with you. You know, maybe this is something that she just wants to do for the company or whatever, but everything is done. It's already done. It's over, and he is literally standing in his own way. He's burning $18,000, and he's going to be kicked out on his ear and maybe not even be able to get his possessions because he's not— So
1: why do you think the, the writers wrote it this way, Michelle?
0: because this is what I was talking about. It all boils down to the beer bottles and everything else. I think this was in some way Kim's over the edge. It was Kim's breaking point. I think this was, I'm trying to keep this beer bottle up on the the railing and not let it fall and not let, not not do something that I know is not completely right and ethical, and then when this happens, she starts throwing. It's right after this that she's throwing the beer bottles it's It's done. You know, it's in her best moves, her best shot, every she gave it everything she had, and she still couldn't help this guy. Okay. Anyway.
1: It's the it's the same result if she helps this guy cuz Kim knows the problem. She understands the whole equation. This guy's going to move on his own and get good compensation or he's going to get moved and not get good compensation. She knows the end result of this guy's story. Right. So she knows I mean she could have she could have stayed with the I think I don't know. We've already been through this, so I'm sorry I'm repeating. She's trying different tactics, I think, to get accomplished. What first it was the whip, and now it's the candy, you know. And I think it's I think she does care about this guy, but she kind of knows what's going to happen, whatever, whichever path he chooses.
0: Right, but but her her job in it is secure. She did what she needed to. She went back after hours. She went back in the dark. The guys wouldn't even know she did this, necessarily. She just wanted to help him in that situation.
1: But it's probably better for Schweikern and Coakley and Mesa Verde if the guy takes the deal and moves out in 30 days versus a court trial and all this, you know, whatever. No, the
0: court trial's over. He's already went to court. The next step okay, then is maybe literally— Okay,
1: the, then maybe the bad publicity. Maybe I'm not using the right— negative influence. Not going to look that good for Mesa Verde to have the news coverage of an old guy getting thrown out of his property.
0: No, I guess not. But I mean, with all the other people gone, it also wouldn't look good for them to fight for him. You can't let a hundred other people be kicked off of their property, and then, then you fight for this one. And that wouldn't look good either. So... Okay, then we go to Gus, he's standing outside. Okay, what was he doing there at that electrical plant or whatever? What was that? Just a meet up place or something?
1: I think so. I think it's just the it's just the cool scenery, you know, off the beaten path place where they can go and talk privately. Yeah. yeah I don't know why it was a big power plant. Maybe that's the maybe Gus has his own power plant for his chicken operation or some special sub sub-generator plant for his big power requirements. <laughs>
0: that would be a lot. Maybe. I, don't I mean, it could be.
1: <laughs> He's yeah. got a lot of stuff going on out there.
0: I mean, I was thinking that maybe it's the sound, because, you know, you could hear, like, the electricity buzzing in the background. I don't know. But Nacho's giving him the scoop and about everything that's happened with Lalo and Saul and Crazy 8. And Gus wants the agent's name names. And Nacho tells him that Saul has those. And... They kind of hem-haw around a little bit, and they end up deciding that they have to leave the money for the feds, because if there's no money in the dead drops, then Lalo's going to know that, essentially, that somebody talked, and the only person who would know is him or Saul.
1: Yeah, so now Gus has one up on, not on Lalo. By leaving the money in the dead drops, it's kind of a cost of doing business expense now. Maybe a a pretty expensive one, but now Gus is one up, one other upped Lalo one more time, and that he knows Lalo thinks he's screwing Gus by getting this money and getting the DEA to give attention to it, but Gus knows that he knows, right? So he's one up, he's one up to Lalo again.
0: So what are they going to do? Like, do one of those situations where they pay somebody to take the fall for it and do the jail time? Because we've heard about that and Breaking it Maybe, breaking back or twist beginning. it back
1: around to the Salamanca somehow, that they're the ones leaving the money. They'll leave a trail somehow at one of Gus's dead drops back to who knows what. Um, I think Emilio was the other guy. That name just dropped into my head. Emilio is Domingo's partner. Okay. Um, but maybe they'll leave some sort of a trap for the DEA to catch on to the Salamanca's at one of Gus's money drops. Okay. I don't know. That'll be interesting. Or they'll to sacrifice see. one of their own men. He'll go, drop the money. The DEA will follow him, and then he'll go right to like a Salamanca bar or some, you know, or a restaurant. Who knows? But I think Gus is one to again, Lalo, and he'll use this new painful price that he has to leave the money to be confiscated by the DEA. But he'll get something more valuable out of it.
0: Well, we have to presume that something happens to Lalo where he is incarcerated. Well,
1: exactly. That's that. my next point is that this is probably the beginning of the end of Lalo. This will probably okay. lead—Gus will lead somebody back to Lalo, leave a trail back of breadcrumbs for the DEA to follow back to Lalo. That'll get him killed or caught or whatever.
0: And maybe that'll be something that Nacho has a big hand in that he ends up kind of buying his freedom from Gus over.
1: Maybe. I mean the mystery is we don't see Lalo or Nacho in Breaking Bad, so No, maybe.
0: but they're both talked about.
1: Yeah, but they're talked about by Jimmy in mm-hmm. an as an uneducated in an uneducated way like maybe this was connect don't, the time back with Lalo or that time back with Nacho, whatever he said in the desert. He, it sounded like at that point he doesn't know where Nacho was or what happened to him.
0: I thought he just said that he was afraid that, he, that, that they were sent by Lalo or Nacho, but I don't remember exactly.
1: Yeah, but that could have been just because Jimmy knew of a Lalo and a Nacho two years ago or four years ago. There was no... It made right. Jimmy sound like... Hey, I don't know what happened, but maybe you were sent by these guys, Lalo and Nacho.
0: But it makes me hopeful that Nacho's still alive.
1: Maybe you know a lot of other women. They, Nacho is a very uh, popular character.
0: I just, uh, you know, I didn't like him at first, but I just really like him now. I really do. Okay and then Kim this is where we talked about at the very beginning where Kim pulls up at home and Jimmy's on the balcony drinking the beer. She lights a cigarette she passes it to him and he opens the beer and passes it to her. They stand quietly for this whole time they don't talk, passing the cigarette back and forth. And then he starts to do something risky, right? He's holding the beer bottle over the balcony and letting go and then catching it before it can fall. And Kim watches him for a minute and then she one-ups him and just heaves her beer bottle off the balcony to shatter on the pavement below. And then they both continue until lights come on, a dog starts barking, and they run inside. And that's the end.
1: It's interesting. I guess we'll find out more and more about that. You know, Jim and Kimmy, Jim, E. E. and Kim are not happy really too much right now. Not like they were certainly in earlier parts of Better Call Saul. So I don't think it's a happy time for them. I think it's kind of a reminiscent of when they were happy. Yeah. I mean, or what you're saying the breaking bad of Kim or just Kim just realizing a frustration.
0: Yeah, just this- thinking it doesn't do, it doesn't matter what you do. You may as well be risky. You may as well be Giselle or whatever. You know, you bare your soul and somebody acts like that.
1: You know, this is the only thing that makes me happy. This is the only—she's not happy trying to help pro bono people, really. I mean, they're kind of pushing back on her. She has to trick pro bono people to do the right thing. Then she fails with Ellis. You know, she's not really happy. She's very successful, but she's not very happy. That's true. So this makes her, I think, kind of remember a happier thing, or it's an escape for her somehow.
0: She's definitely trying to find her way. She's trying to find something. She's trying to get somewhere. Do you want to hear the next ones?
1: Sure. What do you got, Michelle?
0: Okay. The first thing we have is Saul twisting that pinky ring thoughtfully. And remember that pinky ring was given to him by shady friend Marco's mom at Marco's funeral. he's sitting there twisting that thoughtfully. It's something Saul used to do in Breaking Bad, that twisting that ring. So we see him do that. Howard is asking what Saul Goodman is about at their lunch. They're having a meal. Stacy is saying to Mike that she knows something's going on with him. Saul is looking across the table and asks, do you twerps even know who I am? And then some judge is going, oh, Mr. Goodman, very frustrated. And then Saul is putting on gloves and a baseball cap, kind of like he's fixing to get into something. And then we see Gus from, like, the view of us being inside a chicken fryer, and he lifts out the baskets. And then Saul's saying, I am the real deal. We see Hank again, so we're going to see him again with his gun drawn out his car window. And then we see a naked Kim asleep with a naked saw and her arms thrown over his back. Um, we see those Penny Annie thugs make another go at Mike, so we're going to see that again. We see Gus break a burner phone, and he is not happy Saul claps on the door and says he's coming out, one of those jail conference room doors. And last but not least, we see Hank and Gomez with guns drawn and flashlights looking into some kind of a hole or a ditch or ravine or something. Presumably a drop, but that's it.
1: And that episode's called Namaste, so that's a weird name for all that scary stuff. It is. There's an extended scene of Howard and Jimmy on YouTube that you can watch that's probably like 40 seconds of Jimmy explaining his name to Howard oh cool yeah so if you can't wait till Monday you can go watch that
0: how can you wait it's so good this is really good I thought everything about this was so maybe I was just in a mood who knows but everything felt so symbolic to me every little thing in it did
1: so. Alright Michelle so see you next week on
0: 504 Namaste We'll see you then Mike. Bye. Bye bye.